Welcome to the Type Pod. I'm Anita Nottingham, former book designer, former typography teacher, and former co-chair of a graphic design school. I'm now a learning designer, but I'm a type nerd, and I always will be. I'm Jason Phillips, formerly a book designer and typography teacher. I'm a sometime illustrator and artist, but in my career I've never strayed far from type, and it'll always have a place in my heart. We're whipped into shape by our producer Inga Mewburn, professor at the Australian National University and editor of the Thesis Whisperer blog. We're designers and friends who went to the same design school. I always got great marks for my typography assignments. We met when we worked together at Oxford University Press, where we honed our type skills, became friends and developed a mutual hatred of the typeface Gaudi, all of which still burns brightly 25 years later. Indeed it does. Each episode, we deep dive into one typeface, finding out the sometimes surprising history behind the design and the designer, and we admire, or not, its anatomy, ponderous uses and cultural impact. Then we ignore all of that and talk about our feelings. Okay, in this episode, we were going to talk about Times New Roman, but we've tried to record it four (laughs) times now. Four times. And every take had bad sound problems. We're really sorry about that, Inga. Um, sorry, Inga. Uh, sorry. And look, honestly, Times New Roman was boring to start with, and now it's just too boring <laughs> to do it again. So it's going to be the missing episode for now, and we're going to move straight on to Gil Sands, which is, well, it's more interesting now. Far from, far from boring. It's not boring. No. It's not often that a nerdy show about typography needs a content warning. But this episode absolutely does. If there are any sensitive little ears listening, turn this episode off. I wouldn't even recommend skipping because we're referring to some things all the way through. You would probably want to skip the recap, especially um, if you're a survivor. Um, We'll give you some warning to skip ahead. Some of this might be triggering. So I bet you're all awake now, yeah? (laughs) Let's get started. Jason, who designed Gil Sands when and why? Okay. Gil Sands was designed by and named after Eric Gill, who you might think sounds like an early men- member of Monty Python who dropped out before they hit the <laughs> bid time. But in fact, he was a sculptor, a stone and letter cutter, an illustrator of both the sacred and the profane. And on the profane side, I'm including his erotic woodcuts. And, of course, pertinent to our discussion, a type designer. It's not often you get to say the words erotic woodcuts Woodcuts, at, like, 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Okay. And, and listeners, that's your first warning. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So he was born Arthur Eric Rorton Gill. So you can understand why I might have gone with something a bit punchier. Mm -hmm. In Brighton on the south coast of England in 1882. He attended the Chichester School of Art and then apprenticed to a London ecclesiastical architect, which was apparently a thing back then. I mean, nowadays you probably cop some odd looks if, if that's how you introduced yourself at parties, and not to mention your job title requiring a double-sided business card. Anyway, there's just one example of Gill's architecture, which is a Catholic church completed just prior to his death, located in the delightfully British-sounding Gorleston-on-Sea. Tally-ho, exactly. as yeah. my friend Jeremy likes to say, with anything that's very British-sounding. A, a quote from the lost episode. <laughs> uh, 
as a sculptor, he worked on some large commissions, such as the Stations of the Cross at Westminster Cathedral and several war memorials, which is interesting given that he himself was a pacifist. Oh, look, you know, sometimes you've got to pay the bills. Ah, absolutely. So when he was in London, Gill studied at the Central School of Art and Crafts, which was where his typographic journey began. Mm. He was invited to design his first typeface by Stanley Morrison of the Monotype Corporation. Stanley had been impressed by a sign for a booksellers in Bristol that had been designed by Eric Gill. And it I have to say, it looks very similar to Gil Sand. So oh, kind how of, interesting. So he's yeah. already been doing it in the wild, but as a, like, bespoke painted. Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah. So he was also made an associate of the Institute of British Architects in 1935 and given the title Royal Designer for Industry, which is <laughs> a fancy accolade and the highest one, in 1936. I think I want 19- that job title. <laughs> Royal Designer for Designer Industry. Designer for Industry. I'm yeah, ask my pretty- boss. Yeah. Sounds pretty fancy. Another th- another thing to add on your double-sided business card. <laughs> um, in 1937, he was made an associate of the Royal Academy. So, you know, big, big deal here. And over the years, he wrote numerous essays on art and religion, and he died at home after an operation for lung cancer in 1940. Now, if you've ever seen The Crown, you know that an operation for lung cancer in 1940 <laughs> does not go well. No small thing. So yes. poor yeah. Eric Gill. Yeah. Exactly. So that all sounds pretty respectable, right, Anitra? Yeah, I sense there's a but coming. Yes. Okay. And this is where we need to stress the content warning mentioned at the start of the episode for survivors of sexual abuse especially. It turns out that Eric Gill kept diaries, which detail not only numerous extramarital affairs, Mm -hmm. but incestuous relationships Mm. with his sisters, two of his daughters... And a, shall we say, Stop. unhealthy interest in the family dog. Ugh, which is why which, I didn't want to do this history. Thank you for taking me in. Okay, but which he recorded for posterity. God. I mean, Sometimes. seriously. Like, the guy is a bit of a, well, in my, in my notes I've written, he's a bit of a religious nutter, which I is. I think that's an accurate. Well, I. Uh, Kind of harsh. Let's say he's fairly religiously intense, okay? Right. I mean, the fact that he swaps out the kind of white bread Anglican version of his religion for the Mm. more heavy-duty Roman Catholic, that has to say say something about a person, okay? But anyway, he moves to rural Sussex Mm -hmm. and he founded an artistic community that was basically centred around himself. Oh, look, that's a red flag right there. He rocks an Amish-style beard, and mm. while I'm not suggesting that the Amish do impolite things to their farm animals or that a room springer year would have sorted out young Eric, but we've all seen enough of those mm. pseudo-religious B-grade horror flicks to know that luxurious facial hair combined with the somewhat wild-eyed look that Gil has in photographs and a predilection for smocks all adds up to trouble, right? Yeah, look, and I'm sadly addicted to cult podcasts <laughs> and documentaries. I'm sadly, well, I don't know, sadly addicted, but I am addicted. And yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. There's a lot of red flags here that, you know, yeah. these days, maybe he wouldn't have been able to do those horrible things to people. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> well, look, I'd heard the top line details about Eric Gill. Like, mainly, he was a bit of a weirdo um, yeah. and had a thing for the ladies, right? Yes. Not. Heard about the other stuff. 
And I was like, before I heard the details of it, I was like, that sounds bad. Yeah. But I like the typeface. So I just kind of yeah. ignored it. Or I didn't think about it too hard. Yeah. Um, worse, I think, honestly, I glossed over it as ancient history. Like yep. I see, I say to my students, oh, he's a bit of a weirdo. So it wasn't until one of my students actually went and did a deep dive into the original sources. She was that kind of student, great <laughs> oh, student. Yeah. Um, and then she came back to me, though, a bit distressed and said we yep. hadn't sufficiently warned her. <laughs> and I was like, oh, haven't we? And then I went back and read the original diaries, diaries. myself. And that was a really big mistake. Like, yep. trust us, like watching the first episode of Black Mirror, you cannot unknow it once you know it. So don't yep. look it up. You can't unread it once you've read it. Yeah. So you've been warned. Okay, yeah. I, and look, I apologies to, to Mark Haddon. I don't think we want to dwell on the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime <laughs> or the <laughs> sisters or the daughters or even the long-suffering wife. So yeah. let's, turn, let's, let's turn to the broader cultural context Please, in, yes. in which Eric Gill lives. So, you know, I think we focus so much on the two world wars that sometimes the years in between, which is when Gill's output was most prolific, seemed just like a bit of a breathing space. But mm-hmm. in fact, this was a period of tremendous political, social and economic upheaval. Right. There's the collapse of various governments and regimes across Europe. There's the fallout of communism taking over Russia, the Great Depression at the end of the 1920s and the events leading up to the Second World War. Eric Gill was an anti-fascist, so he oh, was obviously anti-fa. Yeah. <laughs> now that's how uh, probably the Republicans are like, of course he was a horrible, demented weirdo. He's anti-fa. <laughs> exactly. So, but the, back then, anti-fascist had a slightly different connotation. Sure, so sure. He's, he was, but it, that means that he was obviously politically active and would have view, viewed developments in Italy and Spain and Germany at that time with some alarm. Right. Some other significant events from around the date of Gil Sands, the typeface commercial release, are that Charles Kingsford Smith and his crew completed the first flight across the Pacific Ocean from the US mainland to Australia. Oh, really? Yeah. That's okay. All right. Yeah. A little bit of local colour there. John Logie Baird demonstrated the world's first colour television transmission in Glasgow. Wait. Is that where we get the Logies? Exactly. Oh. Well spotted, Anitra. That's who the Logies are, are named after. Well, that's our local version of the Emmys, if we have any. Yeah, the international TV, daytime listeners. TV Emmys. <laughs> Alexander Fleming first discovers what becomes known as penicillin. Ah. And Mickey Mouse debuts in Steamboat Willie, which is considered to be the first sound film. That's a okay. nice little contrast that you've put there. Penicillin, yeah. Steamboat <laughs> yes. Willie. Yeah, yeah, who would have thought? Penicillin, Steamboat Willie. <laughs> Eric Gill's life spans Art Nouveau to Art Deco and Modernism, and I have a copy of his Four Gospels. Mm. And to me, the illustrations, and we'll put a link up to those in the show notes. They are yeah. yeah, they are. And they're a great example of how dramatic the aesthetic change over his time period was. I kind of think of them as like the love child of a traditional medieval manuscript and the art of Aubrey Beardsley, who I'll just say is another sexually controversial English convert to Catholicism, just saying. Uh, There's a lot of it going around. But as a result of that mix of styles, the Gospels wouldn't look out of place in the interior of a fancy Art Deco apartment. Gil was working for the Monotype Corporation with Stanley Morrison when he was asked to design this, right? So he's actually yep. asked to design a competitor to the newfangled and 
popular sans serif fonts like like Futura that we talked about in the first episode. And yep. I guess he, he figured that that – so Johnson, that, that London Underground typeface, which is called Johnson, um, which people often think is Gil Sands but isn't, he thought this would be a bestseller and he was kind of right about that. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jason. That was refreshing. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> now for our next section, Anatomy where we briefly check out the body of our typeface in this episode. And we use the term anatomy because in typography, we refer to parts of the typefaces in anatomical terms. So the top of an F is an arm. Is it inappropriate to say that the bottom <laughs> of a lowercase Y is called a crotch? Where it joins the, the sort of tail bit. No, it's probably, it's probably in context with what we've been discussing. So, <laughs> right, so okay. That's why we've said anatomy because yeah. we do use body. Anatomical anyway. terms. Yeah. Go. Tell okay. us, Jason, what do we need to know about Gil Sands' body? Okay. So Gil Sands is what we call a sans serif font, which to remind you that means that it doesn't have the little horizontal strokes at the bottom of the letters. It's categorised as humanist, which means that it uses geometric shapes, but it's characterised by some stroke modulation, making it more organic and less machine-like. Now... I realise once you know certain things about Eric Gill's <coughs> proclivities, it's yep. difficult not to cast everything about him in some sort of Benny Hill, Mrs. Slocum, ooh, ma pussy, light. <laughs> but, I mean, you could be forgiven, for instance, for thinking that his other most famous font design, Perpetua, sounds like an early brand name rejected for Viagra. It does, actually. And don't get me started on the golden cockerel press type. People obviously not... Well, it was a it was a typeface that he designed for the Golden Cockerel Press, but it's oh. just the the name itself yeah. is you know people obviously not Eric Gill were a lot more innocent in those days, but yes. Anyway, in this context, what we mean by stroke modulation is a blend of thicks and thins rather than a uniform line weight, as we saw mostly in Futura, for example. So, and you can see this modulation in the lowercase a and e and g and r. Yep. Another key feature is the vertical stroke ends on letters such as the upper and lowercase c's and the s's and the lowercase f, which actually create the optical illusion of tapering. Oh, yeah, you're right. They do. Yeah. So, Gil Sands was designed for both body copy and display text. So headings as well as just the normal paragraphs. Mm -hmm. And it includes quite an extensive family of weights and styles ranging from condensed, which is the very narrow version of a typeface, and thin, which is a very lightweight, to heavy, which is the big fat lines that you see in some typefaces. Yeah, I looked it up. There are 36 derivations. Wow. That's a lot. I That's a lot of fonts. I don't think I knew that, that would, there were that many. But That's a lot of fonts. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Jason. I think Gil Sands is quite good-looking body-wise. Like, it's elegant. It's modern. It's spare. It's very British. Yes. It's not the quirky British like Benedict Cumberbatch. It's more the smooth, <laughs> good-looking British like Jude Law. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Thanks. So now to our feelings. Right. Overall impression, best worst feature of Gil Sands, in your opinion, Jason. Okay. Well, like you, I find a lot appealing about it, all the history of Eric Gill, the man notwithstanding. Um, sure. I do like the geometry and the mix of narrow and broad characters, as you know, we talked about with Futura. 
Uh, some other typefaces have a more uniform width, but I think that that creates a really stretched and artificial look to some of the letters. So I prefer the mix that Gil Sands utilises. But once you start getting into the bold, extra bold, ultra bold and heavy faces, mm. the letter forms start to look ridiculous, which really at what point, at that point, what typeface doesn't? They True. basically lose all their proportion. It's like somebody decided, hey, let's see how much air we can pump into these babies before they blow. <laughs> and I can't seriously think of a single instance as a designer when I would be tempted to use those really heavy font, uh, heavy Look. weights. <laughs> Look, my old art director, Tony, used to say there's one job where you can use a font like that in your whole career. So never say never, uh, but I tend to agree. But, you no. know, to be fair, to <laughs> be fair, no, those ultra... Just no. <laughs> no, look, those ultra bold faces, and yep. they are really terrible, so you should look up future ultra bold. We'll put a link. They're designed, like, I think in the 60s and 70s by other people. So yeah. really they're a sequel cashing in on the, you know, success of the original. Like, Well, that, yeah, that that yeah. is true in fairness to, to Eric Gould. But... Yeah, but, like, what... I don't know. Like my t- friend Tony says, maybe you just haven't found the job for Gil Sands yeah. Ultra Bold yet. I know I haven't. <clears throat> no, I'm not lucky. I'm not lacking in imagination normally, but it's just not going to happen. <laughs> All due respect to your friend Tony. The other thing, one of the other things about this typeface is the scale between the X height, which, as the name suggests, is sort of used as the the um the basis, the yeah. measure, the basic measure based on the character X. And the, the lowercase cap- character X. Yeah, sorry, the yeah. lowercase character X and the cap height, which is the height of the capital letter version mm-hmm. of a character, right? So the scale between those two, the X height and the cap height in Gil Sands really bothers me. Eric Gill went for a deliberately and comparatively low X height, and I find that if you look at them long enough, the uppercase characters tend to teeter over the lowercase ones. Yeah. And... Look, to be really fussy, which I am, some individual letters bug me as well. (laughs) Let's get right down to it. Yeah, okay. Well, look, other opinions may differ, but I find that a really successful uppercase G is tough to nail. And for me, the Gil Sands version looks too top heavy, like it's about to topple over. And that's the same with the double story lowercase a and double story is the version of an a with the little kind of curl or the cap over the top yeah look i have to agree with you yeah i think that problem like it does that that kind of um proportional problem is why that argument gill sands is actually not a good body copy face maybe has some merit like it's certainly really hard to set as body copy because you've got that upper and lowercase thing and actually when i started teaching at the academy at my last job my boss mary and i had our first argument about (laughs) whether you could in fact set body copy well in gill sands at all and she had no truck with my i was like but it's the british helvetica i come from the commonwealth i see it differently (laughs) argument she had no truck with it i was pretty early into my time at the academy too and i think at some point in the argument i think she suspected that my taste level wasn't quite right you know i got a look um and to be fair i think she's just seen one too many student projects that had tried and failed she's not yeah. entirely wrong like yeah. a few years later i had to go back and agree that yeah maybe it's not for beginners that's you know right. yeah. it's still okay but not for beginners um i <laughs> the, the discussion actually ended when i told her that my resume was setting gill sands and that she still <laughs> me anyway <laughs> Like, ouch, not to brag. Ouch. 
but that race mate getting that to look killer in Gil Sands is really not easy. Like the spacing yeah. was really not easy. It's in Helvetica new now. Yeah, Jason, don't sorry. don't. Oh no, that hey, that's all right. But you're right. I don't don't go for your learners using Gil Sands. No, no. Okay, it's time to get into it. Where we throw all caution to the wind and discuss whether you should or should not have a relationship with this typeface. So this is a very complicated discussion for this particular typeface, well, Jason. It's, it's as a designer. We're stressing it's with the typeface, not with the. Designer. That's right. What relationship <laughs> okay. do you have with Gil, Gil Sands? Sands? Right. So yeah, look, I confess, a bit like you, I kind of had. That's at the end. It's it's, it's we're not up to that yet. No. No. We're just about whether what, what you use it for, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, a bit like you, I knew there was a kind of complicated history behind this typeface, but I just kind of put that to one side. Mm-hmm. I've used it on book covers and in interior pages because it does have that display and copy versatility. And I think, you know, it would be useful to evoke a particular period, early to mid-20th century, for example, if it was required. Yeah. But, you know, apparently... About 10 years ago, there was some online debate about whether to actually boycott Eric Gill, but there's also a tribute font called Canacopulus. So safe to say that there are some mixed feelings out there. Anitra, does the fact that you know some uncomfortable truths about Eric Gill mean that you're uncomfortable about using Gill Sands? Like, honestly, yes. Right. I used to use it all the time. Um, My first website, and as I've said, my resume. um, Yep which is going to make me sound old, but in 2006. <laughs> and the closest I ever got to a design award was with a cover oh. that used Gil Sands. Ironically, wow. it had a dodgy picture of a cat with a tail. <laughs> now that I think about it. Glad it, it wasn't was a striking. dog. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Gil Sands to me is a bit like Chris Pratt. Oh, okay. Right? I used to love Chris Pratt. Oh, you know, I yeah. still find him attractive. I think he's an attractive guy. But over yeah. time, his views and opinions have made him less attractive to me. Right. Right? So, like, he probably had an affair with Jennifer What's-Her-Name and then he left his wife in a really rude way, I think, and then he started being really performatively, you know, Catholic. He started Uh posting pictures of himself carrying a large cross around and I'm like, okay, you do you, dude. (laughs) You know, that's fine. And then he started being all anti-choice or I think we call it forced birth now, yeah, like borderline jumpy. (laughs) He didn't come out against Trump anyway. I'm holding lately, up a red, holding up a red flag, holding saying, up a red flag. Lately, he's yeah. been slightly anti-masker, and well, uh, you know, stop it, yeah. you know. Okay, like you're still cute, but I don't rush to watch something with you in it anymore. You know, yeah. the magic's gone. That's kind of what happened with me and Gil Sands. Like over time, after that, I must admit, after that student brought that to me, and I felt really yeah. like I had let her down by not sort of <laughs> warning her away from actually reading things and like, you know, but warning people away, they're just going to go and read it. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's true. Over time, I just stopped using it. Not immediately. I'm just not sure you can always separate the art from the artist. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's like, it is a complicated situation, but not everyone's as squeamish about associating with Gil Sands. Um, In fact, it actually has quite a prominent corporate history. The BBC used the typeface in their logo and they've done so since 1997, which actually postdates the revelations Mm. about Gil Sands's complicated sex life. So, Mm -hmm. but perhaps they just figured that most people wouldn't have read the biography, but most famously Penguin Books way back in the day, chose it for their original colour-coded paperback covers. Yeah. And these have actually had a, a more recent revival, which 
I guess, puts the typeface back in the public eye. And Gil Sands, as is alluded to earlier, replaced the Johnston typeface, which was actually designed by Eric Gill's old mentor, Eric Johnston, and that was used by British Railways. Did so, they really replace it? I thought yeah. it was still Johnson. No, it, it 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 replaced it. Well, it they sort of. I think they ended up kind of with a mix of both typefaces. Oh, okay, yeah. So they yep. used Johnston for some and Eric Gill for others, but. Huh. So it has that kind of safe, trustworthy feel. I mean, I think it's probably fallen out of fashion a bit more recently, but mm. I think it would still be a good choice if you wanted something that was less formal than a serif but still clean and conservative. Yeah, I think actually that Keep Calm and Carry On, the original poster, was set in Gil Sands or something that looks very like it, right? Like yeah. it's very British. Yes. And I think that's why you get the It's the British Helvetica, Helvetica. which is like defence <laughs> defense Gil Sands. Against, against an American. Yeah. Well, yeah. it has had that keep calm and carry on vibe. And let's yeah. face it, in this world, that's a welcome thing visually. It's yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Okay, Jason, great. So now for our final section, kiss, kill. Sorry. Now for our final section, kiss, date, kill or marry, when we talk about whether we want to be with this typeface or not. Is this typeface a one-time thing? Do you just go out with it occasionally? Do you never use it? Or do you use it so much you worry about yourself, Jason? Let's get real. All right. Full disclosure, I would definitely date Gil Sands. Hell, mm. I'd even consider a friends with benefits arrangement. Okay, I, I mean, cool. I think it's got a lot going for it. On a purely aesthetic level, I find it quite attractive and it has that degree of sophistication and it's reliable. Mm-hmm. I figure you could... I think you could hold a decent conversation with Gil Sands, but eventually I think I would want to start seeing other people and I suspect Gil Sands would start to get a bit bossy and a bit demanding as the relationship progressed and probably a bit clingy at the hint of a breakup. Yeah, I think you're right. I think for me, I think it's safe to say that Gil Sands and I have broken up. (laughs) And I'm not sure that I admitted it to myself that it was really over until we did this episode. Wow. Yep. And I, I kind of ghosted Gil Sands because I think you're totally right. The breakup would have been weird We've- for sure. <laughs> but, you know, it's like a very old romance. You look back on it fondly. You can yep. still see what I found attractive. And I don't blame you for dating Gil Sands, Jason. No judgment at all. Oh, thank it's just, you. You know, there are other Sanseras in my life now. That's all. Fair, fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for listening, especially for getting through that episode. These are our feelings and opinions about typefaces. We're interested in yours. You can email us on the address in the show notes or leave a review on Apple Podcasts where you can also rate us and make the pod easier to find. If you want to join us with a question or an opinion, a great way to do that is to record it via our SpeakPipe page and you can find that at speakpipe.com forward slash thesis whisperer. We'd love to hear from you. Where can you email us, Jason? You can email me at uh, designsleuth at yahoo.com. And I am at Anitra Not on all the things, especially Pinterest, where I have an extensive typography board with a lot of Gil Sands on it, I might add, <laughs> and at anitraland.com, where you'll also find the website for this podcast. And our producer, Inga, is at Thesis Whisperer on Twitter. Thanks for listening, everyone. Great. Thanks for your company. <laughs>